For those who are new, my name is Lauren, and I run this thing every now and again, so welcome back. Here we are. Um, currently melting. It's so grossly hot out, uh, <laughs> and I'm getting excited for fall. I never, I don't know, when fall comes, I know winter comes, so I don't like to think about it, but I just knowing that it's September now really actually makes me happy because not only will the weather change but I feel like fall is such an exciting time um, like so many film festivals pick up in the fall time um, new releases new stories and you know there's Halloween and just a change in pace where everything gets a little more spooky and um, dark and that's kind of <laughs> I love that world that is my world so yeah and it's been weird because this I feel like this whole summer I've been on this um like 60s kick like the Laurel Canyon or you know Beach Boys kind of vibe or sad Nancy Sinatra where we were at last or a couple of weeks ago on here but I've uh I've recently I've recently been trying to switch it up and just get a little more exciting, a little more inspired and not be so drowned um, in that like sad existential era. And with that being said, you know, the new Lana album came out and I will review it, but it's just not the vibe today. I, I can't say my thoughts on it without like ruining the rest of the things in my brain for this for this episode so um but yeah where it kind of started was my friend julie and i we go to this really cool place it's a movie theater and they have a bunch of dvds that you can rent so it's like old school blockbuster but um it really has like the coolest cult films that you saw at blockbuster but you couldn't get because your parents you know had their membership and you know whatever um and so when we were there we were like we want something like lush technicolor but older nothing made today something that's inspiring a little like rough around the edges and there's a movie called go which i've seen before um it has sarah Polly in it and katie holmes and it's basically about like 90s rave culture um and so yeah, I'll go more into it after this song, but that was the vibe, and we kind of formed our whole week around it, so I'm gonna do the same thing with this podcast. Um, yeah, so the first song we're gonna play is New by No Doubt. It's been a while since I played anything, uh, probably like this tempo, this high tempo, so enjoy, let's go. Don't let it go away Skin has got 
Alright, welcome back. That was New by No Doubt. An amazing song. Um, it totally brought me back because I had a few, like, No Doubt CDs growing up. And when I was young, it was mainly her solo career, Gwen Stefani, that was popping off, like, all that. Um, but I had older siblings and my sister... I'm fairly certain she had a No Doubt al album, um, and I had this, like, next-door neighbor named Sophia, and she just had, like, the coolest house. I loved going there. Um, her father was a painter, I believe, and he did some other job, and then her mom worked at Target, like, the corporation, but I thought her mom was just so cool because she had her nose pierced, and... Sophia and I would just play like Polly Pockets or Barbies in her room, but she, we both had the same um, boombox, you know, that like pink Hello Kitty boombox. And so, anyways, I'd come over with my little CD book, whatever you call them, and I'm pretty sure maybe it was her CD, maybe I can't take credit, but we would listen to No Doubt while we played Polly Pockets. Um, so yeah, there's my long tangent about my connection to Gwen Stefani. Um, but yeah, I love the mentality of that song. It's so true. That's how I am when I'm just, I meet someone new or there's a new experience. Like it's just so, it just draws you in. It's like sexy and different and everything is just so like bubbling to the surface so I like that because, like I said before, I've just been so, like, not downtrodden because that sounds depressing, um, but I've just needed some spice in my life and I've really been trying to do that by just, you know, risking, constantly risking things, not in an like, unhealthy way, but, you know, going after opportunities that I would have been scared to go after or shooting my shot and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but I'm glad to have done it anyways and we're always just trying to get it out of a funk I feel um, even when we have good things lined up for us it's always not not enough maybe not enough but I just like to be like excited by things you know so yeah go is an amazing movie basically it's about these group of teens who are working at a grocery store and sarah polly is pretty much a star um and katie holmes is in the film and it's from 1999 so it's like dawson's creek era and she plays she's like the sweet girl in the film but there's drugs involved and I feel like this is probably like a breakout role for her which I love because I just love those transitions um in film and tv when not necessarily like the Disney star complex where they just go off the rails but they just start making bolder creative decisions with the work that they do like Michelle Williams from Dawson's Creek was really interested in um, 
being in Blue Valentine by Derek Cien France, which is an amazing film. I love him. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, but they didn't know if she was quite right for the role because of her past. And so it's just in the same vein. I like how Katie Holmes is in this and she's really cute and sexy. And these teens are all fellow co-workers at like this dumb ass grocery store, which we've all... <laughs> We all have related to just working those dead-end jobs and basically Sarah Polly's character is down on rent it's Christmas time I believe they're in LA and she is about to get evicted and so her co-worker who's just a slimy pig guy is like you can take my shift you know I'm going to Las Vegas and she's like dope I will and these two guys are checking out in her grocery lane and they're looking for that guy because they want drugs um <laughs> and so they're like hey can you get us some and so she skips her friend and goes directly to the main drug dealer which is um Stephen Oliphant I believe his name is he's really I mean he's hot <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie um and all of this is in anticipation to this huge rave that's going on, I think, Christmas Eve. Um, and so a plan is set in motion. She's going to make some extra money, sell these drugs to these guys, and just chaos ensues. Um, and there's another actor who is so familiar in it. Um, let me pull it up because I forget his name. But he plays like the bumbling best friend um hmm, what's his name what are yours his name is Nathan Bexton and he was in Nowhere by Greg Rocky which is one of my favorite films I love that I think that's kind of there are a few films of his that are kind of hard to find um Mm, yeah he plays Montgomery in that film but um yeah so I just I really like that movie it's definitely a product of its time it's a little pervy and whatnot but Sarah Polly is just super badass and um you know towards the end of this episode I'm going to talk a little bit more about her and what she's doing now but um yeah, I just miss those, like, cult teen movies, like, the ones that you would see on TV at, like, 3 a.m. that no one thought, like, anyone would watch, you know, like, on TNT or wherever. Like, I, I remember seeing Jawbreaker and The Craft and Blair Witch Project, like, all super late at night. I shouldn't have been watching it, and it was definitely, like, a TV cut, so it wasn't the true thing, but... I just feel like that's what's missing from t like film and television now like my tastes have gone in a different direction I wouldn't say more refined but these like pop cult teen movies are amazing and actually okay so I was watching um 
some, you know, like when YouTube recommends shit to you and you're just like, okay, I'll watch it. So there was this video, which I'll link in the show notes um, of this episode, but it's around this model and actress named Suki Waterhouse. I believe that's her name. Um, And she looks so familiar to me and I realized she's in Assassination Nation, which is by the same director of Euphoria. So we're all on the Euphoria boat. So she was in his first film or his most prominent film before Euphoria, the series. So anyways, it's like follow her day in her life on Vogue, whatever. And those type of videos usually just make me feel like crap because it's like, okay, I can't relate like a model's life. Like what? But it shows her doing the uh, Moschino show, which happened in June. Um, It's their spring, summer 20 resort collection. And, you know, like I'll stay in my lane happily when it comes to fashion. Um, That's a different world, different creative world that I don't know much about, but is really dope because it was all centered around like scream like and just old 90s like horror films like cult horror films um and the fashion show was set on the Warner Brothers lot I think it was like the Desperate Housewives set so it's like this really creepy street it's at night the the people watching the show are centered in the middle of the street and it begins with Suki dressed up as Drew Barrymore from Scream uh just like screaming and running outside the house and then it goes into the fashion show and it's just really dope because I love how mediums cross over like that when you're inspired by films Um, and their cultural significance and regardless if you like the garments or not I just I thought it was a really cool concept and I'm always into that stuff and it was spooky and I don't know just some of the models were walking like they were actual zombies or just like creepy you know they had masks on and they were just like slowly sauntering on and it reminded me of something like like an episode of um like are you afraid of the dark or goosebumps or something when there's like it was set on halloween and there are kids like walking around and turning into pumpkins or i don't know do you guys know what i mean i have no idea what i mean um or Ooh, like one of the best moments in cinema history <laughs> not really but um American Horror Story in season one that that moment where it's like Halloween you know and the rule to murder house is that all the spirits can leave the house once a year and that's on Halloween um and they can run around the neighborhood, whatever. If you've seen the show, you know what I mean. And so at the end of the show, like shit goes down, or the episode rather, but you just see all the characters just 
begrudgingly like walking back towards the house that they have to be trapped in for the rest of their lives and they had that one night of freedom and the sun is just coming up and it's just this eerie sad moment um I don't know I saw connections hopefully you can help connect that but that was the vibe so yeah so I'm gonna give you guys a break from me talking but um to keep up with the rave kind of spooky theme uh we're gonna play some music from Climax which is an amazing film that came out this year and this is Pump Up the Volume by Mars enjoy Like 
volume, pump up the volume, dance, dance. That was Pump Up the Volume by Mars. M-A-R-R-S. So yeah, amazing um, song. If you had seen Climax, you probably remember it. Um, And that film is insane. I feel like I've talked about it on here before, so I won't go into too much depth, but it's about like a traveling dance troupe of all different kinds of people trying to come together and literally show their expression through dance and it's crazy and basically they're having this like party and someone spikes the punch with fucking LSD and shit goes down um but it's so great I love films about raves um I just feel like it's a little bit untapped and maybe it should stay that way because I I see it coming into fashion more and more and I could just see a film coming out and just like butchering it but (laughs) I won't be that like territorial over it or whatever but yeah so good um I don't know it has similar themes to what I'm going to talk about next which I want to talk about Sarah Polly because I feel like she just needs recognition you know she's an actress and then she she's actually now a director and I remembered that I think sometime this year she wrote a New York Times opinion article about her experience being an actress um, in the late 90s and specifically dealing with Harvey Weinstein because as you guys know, probably like any movie that you love from the 90s was produced by Weinstein or like Miramax or whatever. So, um, yeah, just in the same vein of climax, you have these stars, these talented people really trying to make it and show what they can do and would do anything in some cases you know, to reach, I don't know, stardom or recognition. So I'm going to read some of her article and yeah, I just, I want to get it out there. Um, And I'll link it down below so you can read the full thing, but here we go. One day when I was 19 years old, I was in the middle of a photo shoot for Miramax film when I was suddenly told it was time to leave. I was wearing a little black dress showing a lot of cleavage, lying seductively on my side and looking slyly at the camera. The part I had played in the movie, Guinevere, could not have been more removed from this pose. My character was an awkward girl, bumbling, in fact, who wore sweatshirts and jeans and had little sense of her sexual power. 
by the way, I've never seen this film. Um, this is me talking. <laughs> um, but it looks terrible. Anyways. But this is how they were going to sell the movie. And at a certain point, I was tired of being a problem. Which is how a female actor is invariably treated whenever she points out she is being objectified or not respected. I was pulled out of the photo shoot abruptly. The publicist said that we needed to be in Harvey Weinstein's office in 20 minutes. Are we done here? I asked. No, was the answer, but Harvey wants you there now. In the taxi, the publicist looked at me and said, I'm going in with you and I'm not leaving your side. I knew everything I needed to know in that moment and I was grateful. When I got there, Mr. Weinstein wanted no time. He told me in front of the publicist and a co-worker beside him that a famous star a few years my senior had once sat across from him in the chair I was in now. Because of his quote-unquote very close relationship with this actress, she had gone on to play leading roles and win awards. If he and I had just had a close relationship, I would have a similar career. That's how it works, I remember him telling me. The implication wasn't subtle. I replied I wasn't very ambitious or interested in, in acting, which was true. He then asked me about my political activism and went in to recast himself as a left-wing activist, which was among the funniest things I'd ever heard. And side note, Sarah Polly was, um, she had like teeth knocked out of her in Ontario or something um, because she was in a protest against this government thing. So she's a badass. I indicated that he was wasting his time we probably wouldn't be friends or have a close friendship, quote-unquote. I just didn't care that much about an acting career. I loved acting, still do, but I knew after 14 years of working professionally that it wasn't worth it to me, and the reasons were not unconnected to the tone of that meeting almost 20 years ago. On sets, I saw women constantly pressured to exploit their sexuality and then chastised as sluts for doing so. Women in technical jobs were almost non-existent, and when they were there, they were constantly being tested to see if they really knew what they were doing. You felt alone in a sea of men. I noticed my own tendency to want to be, quote-unquote, one of the boys, to distance myself from the humiliation from being a woman on a film set, where there were so few of us. Then came the photo shoots in which you were treated like a model with no other function than to sell your sexuality, regardless of the nature of the film you were promoting. I've often wondered how I would have behaved in the meeting with Harvey Weinstein had I been more ambitious as an actor. I was sitting in front of a man who wielded enormous power. If you were interested in being in the movies directed by interesting filmmakers, he wasn't someone you want to alienate. How would one have left that meeting, or those hotel rooms which have been described by others, with that relationship intact when he displayed such entitlement and was famous for such anger? I was purely lucky that I didn't care. Here is an unsettling problem that I'm left with now. Like so many, I knew about him, and not just from my comparatively tame meeting with him. For years, I heard the horrible stories that are now chilling so many people to their core. Like so many, I didn't know what to do with all of it. I've grown up in this industry surrounded by predatory behavior, and the idea of making people care about it seemed as distant as an ambition as pulling the sun out of the sky. I want to believe that the intense wave of disgust at this sort of behavior will lead to real change. 
I have to think that so many people in high places will be a little more careful, but I hope that when this moment of noisy sisterhood dissipates, it doesn't end with a woman in a courtroom being made to look crazy, as these stories so often do. I hope that the ways in which women are degraded, both obvious and subtle, begin to seem like a thing of the past. For that to happen, I think we need to look at what scares us the most. We need to look at ourselves. What have we been willing to accept out of fear, helplessness, a sense of things that can't be changed? What else are we turning a blind eye to in all aspects of our lives? What else have we accepted that somewhere within us we know is deeply unacceptable? And what, now, will we do about it? And that is the end of the article. So that was crazy to read and just another take that I love um, to hear, especially from actresses of that era. Um, and I'm interested because, you know, Telluride is happening um, or happened this week. And there is a film called The Assistant, and I think it's by this woman named Kitty Green, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check. Yeah, and it stars this girl, Julia Garner, um, and it's basically about her character being the assistant to a Harvey Weinstein-esque figure. Um and I don't know, the director had done a documentary called Casting Jean Bonnet, um, which is really great. I feel like it's maybe on Netflix or it was. Um, but I'm interested in that film because that's a whole other aspect of being in the industry. Not only, you know, there's like being an actress dealing with these figures, and then there's also being behind the scenes where you're hiring people or you work for someone who exhibits those behaviors and many people just keep their noses to the ground because they want to secure their job or they're not exactly sure what's what's happening or they think it's consensual or whatever and I don't know it's just a mess so you know we're keeping with our spooky vibe of uh, the world and it being terrible sometimes but it's just something to chew on and I'm just really glad her article came out because she's just such an interesting person and she's amazing in that film go so yeah I'm gonna let you guys go with a song by Sarone this will conclude our spooky in-depth look of questionable culture <laughs> and this is super nature so enjoy, love you guys, and we'll talk soon. Bye.
Thank you. 